Once upon a time, there was this preacher, and he uh, was delivering a sermon on prayer. And he was talking about how God still hears our prayers and that God will heal us if we just have enough faith. And I mean, this guy was preaching his heart out. At the end, he gave this offer to the congregation to come up and receive prayer. And he tells them, whatever it is they ask for, whatever it is, no matter what, they are going to get the miracle right then and there. They're going to get that miracle today. Whatever they ask for, God will do it if they have enough faith. Now, if anybody's ever been in that kind of situation, that is a bold moment, right? That is a big matzo ball you're putting out there. You're kind of putting it all on the line, right? Like, you're, this is going to happen. If you pray right now today, you know, you preach this amazing message, you're, you're probably really sweaty because uh, you've been yelling, and you're staking God's reputation on this claim and your own reputation on something happening. And so he makes this claim. He says, well, it's going to happen. And at first, nobody comes up, and everybody's just looking around the room. And then finally, this guy, Jerry, he stands up from the back, and he walks forward. And Jerry yells out really loud, I need prayer for my hearing. And so the preacher's like, all right, this is the moment. He's like, God, you better come through. Everybody's watching. And this preacher starts praying, and you never heard such prayers. I mean, he is praying, he is yelling, he is like binding and loosening, just different things, casting in, casting out. He's quoting every scripture on prayer he can possibly think of. He gets out the anointing oil and he's like slathering it all over Jerry's ears, right? Just go, that's not enough. So he gets some more, he's just dripping down Jerry's head, it's on his chest. I mean, he is praying the prayer to end all prayers. And when he's all done, he leans over. He says, Jerry, tell me how's your hearing now? And Jerry says, well, I have to let you know, my hearing's not till next Wednesday. <laughs> but don't <laughs> Thank you. That's comedy gold right there. It's as good as it gets with me. All right. Prayer is a fascinating thing, isn't it? And you could call prayer, it's fascinating, it's mysterious. You could even call it a little bit weird. Because when you think about it, let's be honest, prayer is kind of like talking to your invisible dad. It, that's kind of mysterious, just talking to somebody who, who's invisible all the time. And prayer is one of those things you can study all of the Hebrew, all of the Greek words of the entire Bible. And when it comes down to it, what prayer is, how it works, how we're supposed to pray and why we pray at all, it's not something you can really just easily categorize or systemize, right? Uh, no matter how many formulas we come up with or recipes or spells or whatever we try, you know, people try to come up with, right? If it were really simple, then everybody would do it the same way. But here's what I also know. Prayer is something that is really, really beautiful and really, really powerful for people who will engage with prayer regardless of how much they understand or don't understand the mechanics of it. Prayer is something that is powerful, which is why we are diving back into the series we began at the beginning of this year called The Praying Church. Uh, we spent four or five, six weeks, I forget exactly, to uh, talking about prayer. And I encourage you, uh, if, if you missed any of those messages, uh, I encourage you to go back and, and look on the podcast at some of those messages. They were really, really good. Um, I preached some, Melissa preached one, uh, Pastor Dad preached one, and it was really, really good. And we're, not, we're going to try not to cover any ground that we already covered there. So uh, I encourage you to go back and listen to that. But all this is because we, if you remember, we felt the Spirit saying to us at the beginning of this year, 2022, that prayer was going to be key for us in this season in our church. It was going to be key to us growing 
as a church and growing as the disciples within this church. And the thing is, as strange and mysterious as prayer can seem, it is probably the, the central aspect of Christian spiritual experience. And it turns out that prayer is deeply relational. It's deeply relational. That when we pray, we're not just performing some kind of compulsory ritual. We're not just doing a chant or practicing a spell. There is a real life person on the other end of the process. There's a real life person and it's not just a, it's not just a thing on the other end. It's not just a machine. It's not just a force, but it is a person on the other end of our prayer. And so prayer makes everything relational. Prayer reminds us that we exist in a universe in which no one is alone. We are never truly alone. And God's spirit is ever present. He's ever personal. And, and the biggest difference between us and, and maybe some other folks who might think of prayer is, is less relational and, and more transactional. Like, that's the kind of relationship you have, like, with a genie that you have to manipulate. You have to outsmart, right? Or with some kind of angry demigod that you've got to appease. That's, you know, a lot of people's view towards prayer is either like a genie or a demigod. The Bible reveals that prayer is based not on a transactional relationship, but on a love relationship, a love relationship, which really gets to why we pray at all. That's a common question that people even ask me, Christians will ask, you know, if God really knows, if he knows what we need, the Bible even says he already knows what you need, and if he already knows the future, why pray in the first place? Why pray? And, And so we could say, first of all, that that question itself reveals a misconception about prayer that needs correction. It's based on this premise that prayer is really all about getting God to do stuff in the future. And that's what prayer is. And, and that, so the question really only makes sense if we live in purely this, this task-oriented universe, that prayer is the thing that we do to get stuff. So why should we bother to pray? How about because we, we love God and we want to get to know him better? Amen. How about because we love him and we want to get to know him? It turns out prayer at its core isn't about magic formulas. It's about having an intimate time of communion with your lover. It's, a, it's this, like this dance of partnership with God himself as Jesus is going to show us today. Amen. So let's kick off. The Praying Church, Volume 2, by turning in our Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, if you have your Bibles. These verses, we're going to be going through, we're going to go through verses 7 through 11. And these verses are part of a larger sermon Jesus preached, famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And that sermon starts way back in chapter 5, goes to chapter 6, but chapter 7, Jesus had him and it was literally on a mount. They said, you know, a little mountain, and he's talking to the crowd out there. And uh, we've looked at other portions of this sermon before because this is fundamental for kingdom living. Because Jesus has been teaching people throughout this sermon about what it means to be this new humanity that he's going around telling everybody about. He calls it the kingdom of heaven. And this new humanity, it's how how to live in his kingdom here on earth, how to live free from sin, free from bondage, how to relate to God and how to relate to your fellow human being in love and humility. And so he comes to, in chapter 7, verse 7, 
He says this famous passage, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Will you just bow your head with me? Let's pray. Father God, our Lord, giver of all wisdom, I thank you, Father, this morning that you open, you open the eyes of the blind in the scriptures, Lord God. You transformed, transformed fishermen into wise teachers of the gospel. I ask you, Lord, to just shine in our minds the light of the Holy Spirit this morning. Give us discernment. Give us understanding and wisdom this morning. Open our eyes to the treasures, the treasures of what your Spirit uh, has awakened us to ask for in prayer as we seek your face. Lord, enable me to proclaim what you've given me to share this morning. May we all abound in every good work. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Ask, seek, knock. Ask, seek, knock. Jesus' first century Jewish listeners, when he was preaching that, they would have instantly recognized those terms as uh, like idioms for prayer. Those asking and seeking and knocking were often used within Jewish writings and Jewish teachings to describe when we approach God in prayer, asking, seeking, knocking. Interesting fact about number one, about these words, they're all verbs of continuous action. Uh, technically, they're written in this present imperative tense, verb tense in, in the Greek. One translation that gets this across really well says this, keep on asking and you'll receive. Keep on seeking and you'll find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened. What he's talking about is a lifestyle here. This is a lifestyle of prayer, right? You might call this praying without ceasing. Keep on, just keep on keeping on. Don't stop, continue. And the picture he gives us here is this, as a Christian who lives with this beautiful, continuous, asking, seeking, knocking relationship with the God of the universe, who's the source of all that's good. He's the very ground of our being. And what Jesus is, is forcing us to ask is this question, fundamentally, what do you believe is at the core of the universe? What do you believe? Do you believe at the core of the universe is a God who is like a giant vending machine that you just, if you put in enough tokens, you're going to get out whatever it is you're looking for. And if you don't get it, you can grab the machine and kick it and get angry with it, right? Because until the chips fall down. Or is the God at the core of the universe a lover? A God who desires an intimate relationship with us. What else is fascinating here is uh, these words of Jesus. Jesus just assumes, like it's obvious, that prayer involves a partnership between God and, and those of us who, who bear his image, human beings. So ours is not this existence where we just toil through life and God just sort of doles out little scraps of, you know, whatever, a miracle here and there whenever he just feels like it and we're just like, oh, look at that, a miracle. Um, and it's also not a world where, uh, it's, not, it's not a world where we demand and God obeys. It's not that either. God's not our servant, right? 
And so there is, in prayer, there's this tension here of, of we pray, we ask, we seek, we knock, and God answers. And yet God is still sovereign. He's still the one in charge. And Jesus is really comfortable with his tension, right? He's comfortable with that. He doesn't hold fast to this sort of, uh, you know, hard and fast, uh, black or white uh, sort of dichotomy of, you know, Calvinism versus Arminianism. Like, we, you know, we, we need to know the categories. He just sees partnership all the time. Partnership. So Jesus calls us to ask, seek, knock. What else I find interesting is the middle one here. If you look at the, that middle one. Now, when we ask, notice it is God who gives, right? We don't just take it. It's given. When we knock on the door, it says that, you know, God's going to open the door. It doesn't say knock and then bust through the door, right? But when we seek, notice it doesn't say, and then God will bring it out of its hiding place. Ta-da! No, it says you seek and you will find. So there's a you that plays a big part in both the seeking and the finding, right? And, and this is echoed all throughout the scriptures. We see this several places in scriptures. There's a parable. Uh, Jesus teaches about a person who discovers a treasure, and the person digs it up themselves, right? God doesn't do it for them. Over in Proverbs, we're told, uh, one of my favorite scriptures, uh, Proverbs 25, 2, it says that there are hidden things like planted in the world, and it's our honor, it's our joy, our duty to seek them out and discover them. And so not all of prayer is just asking and then, you know, waiting for God to make the answer plain, you know, like big words written in neon across the sky. God wants his image bearers to engage in wisdom. Wisdom, which is seeking. It's learning to seek and it's learning to discern truth. James 1.5 says that God gives wisdom and he gives it freely. And, and that's so, that makes so much sense because that's sort of like teaching someone how to fish rather than just, you know, supplying a fish, right? And God wants us to play a part in our own growth, in our own maturing. He wants us to go on, he wants us to go on treasure hunts in life, right? He doesn't, he doesn't, he, he's not a helicopter parrot. He doesn't want us to just be passive and wait for him to, to just sovereignly make everything easy and appear right in front of us. Let's look back at Jesus' sermon. In verse 8, he says this, For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Mm. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, knocks, and the door will be opened. Everyone. So uh, now you have to picture the context here. Jesus is, he's on this hillside and he's preaching to a multitude of people. And what he is doing right here, when he says everyone, he's building a bridge. He's building a bridge between the committed and the crowd. Uh, up until this point, if you read the Sermon on the Mount from the beginning, and I encourage you to do it often uh, from chapter five on, up until this point, he's been talking mainly to those who have who've bought in. People who are like, yeah, we're in. We're committed. He's been talking to the committed. These are people like you and me, and he's teaching us kingdom ethics. He's teaching us this new lifestyle of the kingdom, a new way of living for those who have become committed followers of Jesus, right? Not perfect people, but committed people. Because he's not calling, remember, he's not calling us to impose Christian ethics on our culture. That's not the point. 
Uh, he's not in calling us to impose, you know, Christian way of living on the crowd, on sinners. He's calling us to own that him ourselves, right? Put the Christ back in Christians, right? The Sermon on the Mount is primarily directed to those who are his committed followers. Very important. But here he's always aware, he shows he's always aware that along the back rows of that crowd, among the fringes are those who are curious, the people who are just checking it out, they're eavesdropping on what this thing is going on with Jesus. They're seeking, you could call them seekers. Um, and here you can almost picture Jesus, he's kind of like raising his voice a little higher now to be heard in the back of the crowd and says, and everyone, everyone who seeks God, everyone who does that, will find what they're looking for. And God will respond and he will open the door for you. He will answer you. So Jesus is always encouraging the crowd to become part of the committed. He's drawing us all to become disciples. That's good news. So that means today, wherever you are, if you're here, if you're in this room or you're watching my live stream or you're listening to a podcast, whatever it is, wherever you are in your faith journey, believer, doubter, sinner, saint, seeker, Jesus promises you this. If you ask, if you reach out for more of God, you'll receive. He gives himself freely. He will respond. He's just waiting. It's such a beautiful promise. Let's go on to verse 9. He says this. He says, which of you, if you ask, if your son asks for bread, will, you'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. In Luke's record of the same uh, sermon, on another occasion, Jesus preaches this over in Luke. We call it the uh, Sermon on the Plain. Uh, some, some people call it that. But Luke says it this way. He records Jesus as saying, if a child asks for an egg, what parent would give him a scorpion? You remember, Jesus was a traveling preacher, so he's probably preaching this sermon several times. So we have two, two records of, of different ways that he's saying this. And, and so he's saying, if your child asks for good things, are you going to give him bad things? No. And he says in verse 11, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to the, your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And he uses this word evil, and that simply means born with a fallen nature, right? That's, that's us all. In comparison to the perfection of God, he's making this contrast. Compared to God's perfection, I mean, you're, we're evil compared to that. But Jesus says, even so, I mean, most of you, most of you, even if you're broken and sinful, you're a decent enough human being to try to be a good parent to your children, right? So, so if you would never tease your hungry kid by giving them a, a scorpion or a rock or a snake when they're hungry, how much more will God never give you something bad when you ask him for something good? What he's getting at here is the character of God. What he's revealing here is the character of God to these people because they want to know, what is this God really like? What is this God that we've bought into? What is he really like? We see it revealed through Jesus. He's revealing to us. Now, this should encourage us. When Jesus says this, this is encouraging, but it also encourages us in those times when it seems that, that God has not answered our prayer in a way that we wanted him to. Because what, what he's revealed is that he, he'll never give us something that's not good for us, right? Sometimes God says yes to our prayers. Those are fun days. Yes, I prayed and God said yes. Sometimes God says not yet, not now. And sometimes he says no, right? 
And, and what we often mean, sometimes we'll be like, God, you know, why, why didn't you answer my prayer? What we often mean by that really is, is God, how come you don't always say yes? But would we ever call that loving parenting? Would we ever do that? If a parent was wired to always say yes to everything their kid asked for, would that raise a healthy child? Right? I mean, we have a phrase for that. Spoiled brat. <laughs> right? Because you love your child. You love them so much that you don't always say yes. Right? Even though they don't understand it, sometimes your answer is going to be no. Because you know what? Sometimes children ask for snakes. Sometimes they ask for rocks when they need to ask for bread. Sometimes they ask for scorpions because they got a cool wiggly tail. Right? And sometimes we ask for things that are self-destructive and we ask for things that are unhealthy and because God loves us, he says no. And then, let's be honest, there are those times he chooses not to intervene at all in the way we wanted him to because there's just, there's other factors in play and we don't understand it yet. And even as a pastor, sometimes people would be like, why did this bad thing happen? And I'd be making stuff up if I told you the exact answer every time. Sometimes we don't know why. We don't know. We don't understand everything yet. We don't always know the whys, but we do know this. And this is what I always know. I can always rest on this. I know I can trust him to be good. I can trust him to be with us no matter what. I can trust him to lead us to a place of rest and peace and ultimate justice and joy. I know that. I could trust him because of the God Jesus reveals to me. He's trustworthy. So I can reveal, I, I, can, I can trust. So if he doesn't say yes to your request, then open up your eyes and say, what else, God, are you doing in my life? What else are you doing here? How are you going to turn this around for good? Because he's, he's not just a sadist, right? He's not just trying to like, hey, hey. no, no, no. He's always going to turn it around to your good. The Apostle Paul, he prayed that the thorn in his flesh would be taken away. He, played, he prayed repeatedly, and we know that because the answer each time was no, right? But it wasn't just no, suffer, ha ha. No, no, no. It was God saying no because I'm going to do something better through this. I'm going to use, he even says, I'm going to use your weakness to teach you more about my strength. Jesus himself prayed for that cup of suffering to pass. But in the end, there was something infinitely greater to be accomplished. Think about all the disciples, all the apostles, all the great miracle workers of the New Testament, every single one of them faith-filled, going out through all the land, preaching the gospel, healing the sick, doing all these things. How many stories have we read of them getting thrown in prison and the you know, earthquake happened and they walked out of the prison? How many times? Ultimately, for each and every one of those apostles, each and every one of those disciples, their last prayer to be delivered from harm, was answered with a, not this time. Not this time, because something even greater is going to be accomplished through your being faithful even unto death. So if God says no, look for the better yes. There's a, there's a better yes, I'm convinced, there's a better yes behind every no that God gives us. And we can know this, we can know this because we see God's heart displayed through the person of Jesus. If we trust Jesus, then we can trust the Father, however He responds to our prayers, however He responds. Amen? Often, this really gets us something very important here too. 
that, that, that um, I really want to get to is, is often what we think of as a no is really a reminder that we're not really asking for the thing that God knows we need the most anyway, right? I used to say that God's always answering prayers, but a lot of times he's answering prayers we didn't even know we we're supposed to be praying. He's answering a different prayer than you knew you were supposed to pray. And so it's still hard for a lot of us to wrap our minds around, and I know, but, but the greatest gift that God can give us, no matter what we think we need most, the greatest gift is more of himself. You either believe that or you don't. Do you really believe the greatest gift he could possibly give you is more of himself? Is there ever a time when you're like, more of you would be nice, but I'd really, right now I need this other thing, right? And God's like, no, you really don't. All of our asking, our seeking, our knocking ultimately is not just for more stuff or more comfort or more security, whatever God might give us. It's for his person, for more of God himself. Now look, I'm not making this up. Jesus makes this absolutely clear back over in Luke's version of this same sermon. He adds a detail in that, in that version that really drives the point. In that sermon, he's in, in the Gospel of Luke, he's, he's wrapping up the teaching kind of almost in the same way. He says, if you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Oh, that's the good gifts. Ask, seek, knock. God wants to give you good gifts. And what is the ultimate gift? The ultimate gift is more of his Spirit. God wants us to come to him with our hands open. But what he's really looking for is children who will ask and say, God, I want more of you. I want more of you. Now see what a lot of folks do, and I'm guilty of this too. What a lot of folks do is they make God this divine, that divine vending machine. And however many coins you put in, you make your selection, and then you get what you want. And for some people, they see their coins as faith, right? Especially us in our charismatic circles, right? You got to put in enough faith coins. You get it all in there. If you have enough faith coins, you put them in there and eventually you hit F3 and those nacho cheese Doritos are going to come down, <laughs> right? Because you put in just the right amount. For some people, uh, the coins are works. That's maybe more of our liturgical friends. If you put in enough work coins, if you do enough good stuff, you can convince God. And in this scenario, it always seems to be a God that really doesn't like you that much anyway. But you can convince him to do something nice for you. And here's what breaks my heart about this. There's a ton of people that this is their picture of God in all circles. People who aren't Christians, who are Christians in our circles, outside of our circles. The biggest problem with the vending machine interpretation of these verses, and that's instantly what our mind wants to go to when we get to this. We've read these entire, all these chapters now about Jesus talking about being like these selfless Christians. Then we get to this and we're like, yes, vending machine. The biggest problem, and I think the saddest thing that happens is there is a lot of people who, who want a kingdom without a king. See, the biggest red flag about, about this vending machine attitude toward prayer is that it is really, it's all about you. Right? It's all about you. How many coins do you have in your pocket? God is just a tool in this arrangement. He is the wand in your hand. Right? He's the, he is a slave to your desires. He's a slave to your demands. And there is a kingdom with a throne 
and you're the one on it. Instead, what Jesus is getting at is not, here's how you get all the stuff you want. It's here is how good the character of God is. Here's how good his character is. When you look, and it makes it obvious when you just read the Gospels, when you look at the life of Jesus, when you look at his words, when you look at his teachings, and you look at his lifestyle, when you look at then the disciples from that point on, the way they lived, when you read what he just got done saying for probably about three hours on this sermon uh, on the Mount, Jesus makes it really obvious that the Father wants to deliver us from our greed He wants to deliver us from our fears. That's what he's been talking about for two whole chapters before this. He wants us to be others-focused, to live our lives as a sacrifice of love toward other people, to put on display this new humanity who bears the image of our Father. He just, he, he spends this whole sermon talking about this. And so Jesus has been going around the country, all over the countryside, proclaiming this kingdom of God, saying, God's doing a new thing, and it's good news. He's he's creating this new humanity, and it's liberating its life. And he's speaking to people. Understand this. The people he's talking to right there who are leaning in, he's talking to people who have given up everything to walk with him. People who have put it all on the line. And they're wondering, what they're wondering is if all of their hopes and their sufferings are worth it. The disciples leaning in and listening to Jesus. The last thing they're, they're, they're asking Jesus is, how do I get more stuff? How do I get more material possessions and comforts and personal security? No, no, they are desperate to know, Jesus, can this God be trusted? Is there something even greater that he can supply than, than all the material comforts that we have given up to follow you? And Jesus His beautiful answer is even greater than anybody could have hoped for. He says, yes, yes, yes. He says, we get to trade in that scary demigod that humanity has feared for 100,000 years. We get to exchange the petty, angry demigod for a dad. Paul gets at this in Romans chapter 8. When he says, for those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. And the Spirit you received does not make you slaves. He's taking a poke at religion right here. Uh, Paul liked to do that. You know, having to go through all those motions, make the sacrifices, you know, the gods are not angry with you anymore. uh, That's a kind of slavery. And he says, the Spirit doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Living in fear is like, oh no, have I made God angry? He's going to kick me out of the tribe. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. We're God's children. We're adopted to sonship. Now, this word sonship is very important here. This isn't, don't get hung up on like, oh, is this like some kind of male bias? No, it's mentioned specifically here because within that culture, the female did not grow up with the full rights and privileges. That was just the the sad fact of that culture. Uh, A daughter didn't get them the way a son did. But this is liberating for us, actually, because he is saying to an audience of men and women, to sons and daughters, male and female, he's saying, you are all becoming like God's sons in the sense 
of we all have the full rights and privileges of his children. Man or woman, all of you get all of me, is what God is saying. Isn't that beautiful? And then he says, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Now this is really cool. Abba, Father. Remember New Testament. So what was all this written in? What language? Greek. It's all written in Greek. Abba, not a Greek word. It's an Aramaic word. And the writer specifically leaves the Aramaic word that they would have actually spoken in the text that's all written in Greek. And he does that for a very important reason. Um, Jesus used this same word, Abba, when he prayed. Here Paul is using this word. The best translation in English would be daddy. It's a very familiar, very intimate word, daddy. It's less formal than father. It's dad. Now, we also know from Jewish writings at the time that this was never used of God. You just didn't do that. That's too familiar. It's too informal. Uh, Jesus, you would have used Lord, maybe Father, but Dad would have been too informal. And Jesus says, Dad. Yeah, that's about right. Call him Dad. So we're given this beautiful permission by Jesus and Paul to reflect this amazing intimacy with the God of the universe. Now, here's the really important point in here. One of the goals of religion all religion, one of the goals from the dawn of humankind is to name the divine. Naming something is like really important. You probably heard that before. Back in the ancient mind, to name something is to kind of control it. So to name the divine, if you knew a God's true name, whatever God that was, then uh, it was believed you gained favor with that God. Uh, you can even, you might say, control that God, manipulate his power for your good. If you name it, you just uh, name the God. This is actually what Moses was getting after when he was that time with God, and he was like, you know, the people are going to ask your name, so what's your name? And God says, you know what? You, you just call me I am, and that'll work for you, right? God's being a little coy right there. Uh, there's a religious sect today uh, called Jehovah's Witnesses. You might have heard of them, uh, and, and I've uh, had some Jehovah's Witness friends that I've playfully sparred with um, in years past, uh, we love them. We pray for the Jehovah's Witness. And we would have good conversations. Uh, I thought I was converting them. They thought I was con they were converting me. So it was uh, fun, frustrating for both of us. Um, but what's interesting about Jehovah's Witness is uh, this. They believe passionately. One of their like core beliefs is that unless you use God's proper name, you're not really saved. And you're not really one of, you know, his people. And at the end of the 19th century, back when Jehovah's Witness was kind of uh, coming to existence, it was believed that the name of God is Jehovah. So hence their name, Jehovah. And so that's how you address him and you only address him that way. And that's uh, nothing else works. And they were believed they were the special people who got it right. And so they, they were the Jehovah people. Um, well, it turns out since that scholars have uh, discovered that the actual ancient Hebrew pronunciation for the mysterious tetragrammaton, which was the name of God, isn't Jehovah, but Yahweh would be a more correct way that we would say that. Yahweh. Well, that's sort of awkward. Um, that's, a, that's a big elephant in the room if you're a Jehovah's Witness. Um, if your whole belief system is based on someone's name being Steve and they're actually called Jerry, um, you know, <laughs> oops. Um, 
But here's the thing. Just ignore that for a second. Let's, let's say that God's actual, true, galactically pronounced name, whatever planet you're on, is Jehovah. Let's say that. Is that really a step toward intimacy to be on a first name basis with God? Right? Now, it might be better than just having to refer to him as God or like Lord or King. Jehovah might be a step forward. But if this God has adopted you as his own child, is that actually a step toward intimacy to start calling him by his real first name? My dad's name is Albert. And guess what? I don't call him that, right? Uh, and it's not because we're, we're distant. It's because we're close. A lot of people call him pastor. Uh, the guy who fixes his car calls him Mr. Hale. Uh, his brothers and sisters back in Alabama call him Albert. I call him dad. And I can say as a parent myself, nothing swells my heart like my kids walking up to me and calling me dad or daddy, if you're Adeline. I hope that never, ever ends. I hope it never ends. I love it. Daddy. I hope it lasts forever and ever. But you know what? If one day she comes up to me and she says, hey, Scott, how was your day? <laughs> I'm not going to be like, oh, finally, we're on a first name basis. This relationship is going so well, right? No, there's going to be something wrong there. Jesus reveals to us that the God of the universe is Lord Almighty, full of glory and power and wonder. And he wants him, he wants you to think of him as your dad, your Abba. That's a beautiful thing. Praise the Lord. Let me finish with this question. What kind of prayers do you pray? When you really are praying prayers, what kind of prayers do you pray? Uh, do you pray like you're ordering a salad? Y'all have the dressing on the side, maybe the extra croutons. Leave off the bell peppers. Thank you. Is that how we pray, like a laundry list, and then we're done? Or are you in a continuously asking, seeking, knocking kind of a thing? This dynamic, ongoing relationship of communication with God, a desperation for more of Him, saying, hear me, Abba, hear me. I need your presence. I need to understand, you know, how to deal with this person. I need to understand how to deal with this situation. I need wisdom. Help me to know you better and to walk in your ways and to reflect your love and your grace to the world better. Because here's the thing, he does want to give you good things. You know, my wife and I, I think we're as in love, more, more in love than anybody in the world. And we have a really good relationship and we, we are in constant communication all day long. Anything she asked of me, I would do. Anything I asked of her, she would do. All right, but it's not because she's afraid of me. And I would do anything she asked, not because I have like a court-ordered decree to abide by any you know, demand she has. It's because we live in just this ongoing, just this beautiful, intimate relationship. So the asking and the seeking and the, and the knocking and the, and the requests, that's just like, a little thing that, that's part of it all. And, and it's, it's just, it's like, of course. Of course I would give you. I mean, you barely need to ask. Just let me know that's what you need, right? That's the way we are with our children. But we want so much more than just a gimme, gimme, gimme relationship with our kids, don't we? This is what God wants. Do we sort of toss God, you know, a little half-hearted prayer coin when we're looking for a parking place? 
Or do we ignore him completely except when we need a really big miracle? Like, God, it's me again. Haven't seen you in a while. But, you know, it just happened. And I don't have any other choice now but to come to you. Is that our prayers? I believe that God desires children, not who are afraid uh, to bother him. He doesn't want us afraid to come to him. Or, or who don't really believe that he wants to do anything for them. He doesn't want children who demand their wish list like he's Santa. But rather, God desires children who are desperate for their father. Who are desperate for him to be present with them daily. Who, completely, who are completely dependent upon him. Children who crave God's presence. Who crave his peace. Who crave his joy. Children who desire not just more stuff, but more of God himself his wisdom, his love, his leading, his guidance. This is what living in the kingdom means. You know, there's that scripture, seek ye first the kingdom and all the rest will be added to you. If we're honest, we kind of want to skip past the seeking first the kingdom part. And we're like, yeah, yeah, kingdom, great. Just, I need all the rest now. And God's like, well, honestly, if you're seeking the kingdom, if you really understand what the kingdom means, you're actually going to stop craving all the rest of the stuff. It's true. This morning, let's pray. Let's pray and as, that as we dive in and we allow God to really just develop our prayer lives more and more richly throughout this series, that what God teaches us to seek, first and foremost, is more of himself. And to trust that Jesus, when he says that this is what God wants to do and what he will do in you. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Father. Oh, I thank you, Lord. Amazing, unfathomable God of the universe. Amazing force, this power that words can't fully wrap around, our minds can't fully comprehend. I thank you that you draw us close by your Spirit, and you invite us to relate to your greatness as our dad. Wow, thank you. Thank you for making us in your image so that we are designed for intimacy. We're ready for it, Lord God. We're desperate for it. We're eager. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he has manifested your love to us in human form so that we can get a glimpse of your heart toward us. Father, I ask for more of you in my life. I ask for more of you, your, your spirit, your presence. I pray that my mind would be tuned in to you all day long. May, me, may I live the moments of my day as they pass in constant relationship with you and awareness that you are there with me. Fill me with your spirit. And I pray this for every person here who's, who's been a part of this teaching today, Lord God, wherever they are, wherever they are physically or wherever they are spiritually, Lord God, I pray that they might experience more of you, Lord, and be drawn into intimacy with you through a more rich and, and flourishing prayer life, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Well, if you'll stand to your feet, I'll offer you a benediction as our prayer partners are coming forward. And if there is anything that you need, God says, come to him. Come to him like children. Come to him. And he, he loves you so much. If you want more of him, if you want more of his spirit in your life, more of his guidance, his wisdom, to know his peace, to know his guidance and his leading. 
come forward and let these prayer partners pray with you. If you want to say yes to Jesus for the first time today, what a great opportunity to come forward and take that step to, be, to go from, from the crowd to the committed. And it doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you got all your ducks in a row. It just means you're taking that step and you're like, yeah, I'm ready to do this with Jesus. I'm ready for Jesus to be this kind of, to be part of my life in this way. Just come forward and let these guys pray for you today. Amen. Amen. So my friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up your face and may his presence be with you. May he be your Abba Father this week in this world that we're living in. Grace and peace be with you. Bye-bye. Thank you.